This is Giovanni Canales back with the G Truth. And I'm going to be talking about game one of Portland against Golden State in Oracle. Game one, Warriors to pull out the W. I will be talking about that. But I'm first going to be talking about the game sevens. Incredible games. Down to the wire, like they should be. First was Trailblazers and the Nuggets. Now, the Nuggets got off to a solid, nice lead early on. But Portland fought back. They fought back. All led by CJ McCollum. Now, I said, Damian Lillard, he needs to put up more than 30 points. He can't have a 14-point performance and expect to win. I mean, technically, he didn't have a 14-point performance. He had a 13-point performance. But they still won. He shot horrendously from the field. Horrendously. But he contributed in other ways, grabbing 10 rebounds. 10 rebounds and 8 assists and limiting limiting himself to one turnover. And he allowed CJ McCollum to show out. To dominate. To do what he does, which is score. And Houston can take a note from this that, hey, if you're not playing that well, it's all right to defer to the second star. It's all right. It's all right. Especially if you're playing this bad like Damian Lillard was. And it's okay to take mid-range shots. Because even though Portland was playing horrible, Horrible. Like, 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 all the way down low. CJ McCollum didn't hit a whole bunch of threes. He made one three-pointer. Shot the three ball only three times. Yet, he scored 37 points because he took the mid-range. And it definitely does help that they got contributions from Ennis Canner. Uh, Damon Lillard got some nice contribution down the stretch in the early in the fourth quarter from Zach Collins. Got some nice minutes from Evan Turner, who contributed 14 points after not really doing much for the whole series and really the playoffs for that matter. But then when you look at the other side, Denver, their inexperience really showed. It, it, it really, really showed. Now, Jokic had a great game. But down the stretch, again, fourth quarter, he had shots that he either passed up or didn't make. Against NS Kanter, he just didn't make them. He had, the possess- he had the position, he had the possession, he had the ball in his hands. He, he said, I'm, I'm going to take the shot, and I'm glad that he did. But he missed them. And then he missed the free throw. At the end of the game. And then Jamal Murray... Nowhere to be found. Four of eighteen. Like I said during the Spurs series, the Nuggets will go as Jamal Murray goes, no matter how well Jokic plays. And Portland didn't have an answer for that uh, Jamal Murray 
and Jokic pick and roll that they ran all series long. But they stopped doing that all of a sudden when it mattered the most. And they lost because of that. Denver's two guys that you were supposed to rely on for them to win, aside from Jokic, Paul Millsap, Jamal Murray, didn't show up. Paul Millsap was supposed to bring that veteran experience, bring them all together, get some points in the clutch when it really mattered the most. And I just saw him brick shots every single time. Same with Jamal Murray. Jokic played great, but he needs he needs players to step up too. But anyways, Portland moved on. They played game one last night, and it was a good game. But I want to talk about the other game seven, Raptors against the 76ers. Now, this one, let, let me just start off by saying, wow, what a shot. I have no idea how that goes in. I mean, John B. could have could have played a bit better. Ben Simmons could have played, played a bit better defensively on that. Where Ben, ben Simmons literally just said, here, Joel, just take him. Ben Simmons should have kept on following as well. Joel Embiid jumped a bit too early and then had to land earlier and then spring himself back up. And by that time, it was a bit too late. But, I mean, props to Kawhi Leonard for getting that shot off. It was a high-arcing shot. You first look at it and you're like, um, it's going to be short. Worst case, it's going to be an air ball. It's short. But then there's some weird rotation. I don't, even, I don't even know how that happens. It hits off the front iron short. And then it kind of just pops straight up. And then it lands back in the exact same spot. And then somehow it goes to the other side of the rim. And then it stays there for a while. And it loses all its momentum, all its velocity. It kind of just bounces and settles there. And then it just slowly rolls in. It felt like years went by for that shot to go. It was majestic. It was the first buzzer-beating walk-off Game 7 winner in the playoffs. Ever. And it was a spectacular one. But I will say, the 76ers should have, could have, would have won that game had they been any more confident down the stretch, any more competent. If you watch that game, you know what I mean. They looked horrendous. I'm using that word a lot. But yeah, they looked really bad. They, they had like three or four shot clock violations. I don't know the exact number, but that's what it felt like. Three or four shot clock violations within the last five minutes. No one scored for like two to three minutes early on in the last five minutes of the game. It was just hanging there, and the Raptors were basically saying, Here, here, take it. Take it. Bring us back to the baby Raptors. To the Crafters. And the 76ers just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Jimmy Butler finally got going late. But Joel Embiid just couldn't quite 
get it together. Couldn't quite get it together, man. And it really... It, 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 it shocked me that he was around the three-point arc for so much time, for so many possessions. When he is a dominant post presence. You're, you're telling me he can't go in the post against Marcus All? Really? Really? Marcus All versus Joel Embiid. Who do, you, who do you have in the post? One-on-one. Because I'm saying Joel Embiid, no matter what. No matter what. Because he's simply the better player. But he just kept on hanging around the three-point line for, for whatever reason. J.J. Redick had some nice minutes. Tobias Harris was all right. Ben Simmons came out of the gates pretty aggressive and then kind of just didn't really show up for the rest of the game. First quarter of Ben Simmons in that game was, you know, pretty nice. But aside from that, it was pretty tragic. And then you look at the Raptors. I mean, you can say the same thing about the Raptors. Like, they they, they should have won this by more. Especially with Philadelphia struggling. Like I said, with three or four shot clock violations, having some really bad possessions down the stretch where they just kind of hoisted it up, just chucked the ball up and hope for the best, airballed it, shot clock violation. Turned the ball over several, several times. Giving the Raptors tons of possessions, especially down the stretch, which, you know, statistically you, you can look at it and see that the Raptors shot the ball a whole lot more. And that's clearly evident that, you know, the 76ers did not bring their A game. Um, the harm might have been there, but it was not evident. But then you look at the Raptors. I mean, they should have won this by more. Siakam, Lowry, basically everyone looked scared to shoot in the clutch. Because they were like, eh, what, what, what if I miss? What if I miss? Are we, are we the Raptors again? Are we the baby Raptors? And in that moment, they look like the baby Raptors. In that moment when they were questioning themselves, like, I don't want to mess up because then Kawhi might leave and then we're going to be back to square one. We're back to the Crafters. And in that moment, they look like the Crafters again. But Kawhi Leonard said, give me the ball and watch me work. I mean, he took 39 shots. To get 41 points. But you know what? I like it. I like it. Because they won. Especially with that last shot. He went out fighting. Unlike someone else I know. Uh, that that the Warriors just played. Uh, a couple days ago. Uh, someone by the name of. Uh, James Harden. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard went out fighting. And he won. He won. But yeah, in the future against the Milwaukee Bucks, this uh, bench unit of the Toronto Raptors is going to be uh, put to the test. Let's use that. Put to the test. Because Milwaukee is looking for them, and they're hungry. They're hungry. It's going to be a spectacular matchup. Two powerhouses going at it. MVP caliber players going at it. It's going to be spectacular defensively, offensively, all that. But I'm feeling, I want to say Bucks and seven to be safe. But it might be Bucks and six. It, it might be Bucks and six. 
that's the way I'm feeling. Now for the Warriors series, I'm feeling Warriors in six as well. But after this game five, I mean, not game five, after this game one, I'm getting ahead of myself in my thoughts. After this game one performance, I'm leaning over now to Warriors in five, but I'm still going to stick with Warriors in six. It's just the way that the Warriors sort of play and the whole thing. I'm going to get to it right now. All right. Warriors, Blazers, Game 1, Western Conference Finals. It's here. Ticked off last night. And, I mean, it was close for a while. It was close for a while. And that was mainly because of one CJ McCollum, who, again, kept the Blazers in it with his floaters, mid-range shots. Didn't really get it going from a 3, 1 of 5 from 3, like I said. Damian Lillard couldn't really get it going. Struggled until the fourth quarter, and by the time that happened, it was pretty much over because Steph Curry said, hey, I'm going to drain some more threes, and that's going to be it. And Escanner was all right. He got 16 boards. He did, what he, he did what he was supposed to do, but defensively, I'm going to get to that. I mean, they got contributions from uh, Maurice Harkless. Who actually had maybe his best game so far? Uh, they got contributions on the offensive side of things from Ennis Cantor. Uh, Lillard didn't really play that well. McCollum didn't play that well. And then Evan Turner turned back into Evan Turner, <laughs> zero points. Uh, Seth Curry couldn't really get going ever. Only made one three, and that was about it. Um. Ronnie Hood played pretty well. That's really the only other plus I can think of for the for the Blazers for that whole night. And let's think about it. This is probably the worst game that the Blazers could play. And they stuck with the Warriors for a good portion of the game until the Warriors were in the third quarter and they basically said, Hey, let's end it. That's they're not playing well, let's end it. And the Warriors have that have that weird, amazing ability where they can just just get out of a quarter and say, yeah, we're bored. Let's just get this game over with. And that's basically how it went. Now, I can understand that the Blazers are tired from Game 7 emotionally, physically, mentally, from Game 7 against Denver, I believe two games prior to Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. And you could tell that they looked slow offensively, defensively. They didn't have their legs under them, all that stuff. But that's the playoffs, man. That's the playoffs. That just is the way it is. Now, I do think that they will bounce back for sure. But they got to do some serious adjustments. Um, if, if, if you watch the game very, very closely, or not, not even closely, if you just watch it, you, you can see that Steph Curry just had a magnificent, magnificent game. 36 points, 9-15 from the three-point arc. And you got to question whether or not the Blazers really played 
all that well defensively. They didn't. Steph Curry had seven uncontested three-point field goals. And he made all of them. He probably had more. But but those are the ones he made. Seven. And these were simple ones where it's just pick and roll against Ennis Canner and Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum. He draw him out maybe 30 feet out. Um, yeah, 30 feet out. And then just have a screen. And Ennis Canner would be all the way back in the paint. He'd be so far away that he'd be in the like almost the restricted area. And I don't know what he's expecting. Are you seriously expecting for them to do a complete pick and roll? And Curry's going to miss a wide open three? That's the greatest shooter of all time. He's going to make them. He will make them. And then Clay did Clay things. I mean, he's amazing. And Curry started off slow, and Clay kept them offensively together. But, I mean, the ball movement on this team, when they're back to their old selves, is spectacular. I mean, you had Draymond even pouring in 12 points, going crazy. And then you had an all-around effort from the bench. Drebko, nine points. Jordan Bell, three points. McKinney, three points. Uh, Damian Jones came at the very end, three points. Kevon Looney, he was amazing defensively. Oh, my goodness. He has provided valuable minutes off the bench for them. Six points for him, too. Sean Livingston, four. Quinn Cook, eight. Especially when Curry was on the bench because he's uh, the substitute for Curry when Curry goes to the bench. He made some nice threes, two threes, pull-ups right there. Boom. And every single time that Portland would get kind of close, nine, seven points, the Warriors would go on a little run, bring it back out to 15 or 12, mainly 15 most of the times, and then after that, they just shut the door, one by 22. Now, from here, I think that the Blazers have to look at the Rocket series. From not, well, I mean, they can look at it from this past year, from this past series, but I would look at more so um, last year, where the uh, Rockets were able to basically just switch everything with Ariza, Tucker, uh, Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella. They they were able to switch everything, so they didn't have to worry about the pick and roll as much. And the, the Blazers had to look at that and say, all right, we got to trust Maurice Harkless to be able to guard uh, Steph Curry one-on-one or uh, Clay Thompson or even for Aminu, for Rodney Hood, for Jamie Lillard, for McCollum, for Zach Collins. You, you, got, you, got, you got to tell all of them, hey, we're, we're going to switch everything. It, it may or may not work. You, you got to try it out because – that's the only way you can really beat the Warriors. You you got to switch everything, and you got to press right up into them, just like the Rockets did this past series and last year. You, you got to body Curry. And I was surprised that the Blazers didn't do this early. They, they didn't get Curry into foul trouble. He had three fouls, but, the, but those were spaced out, unlike what happened against the Clippers, 
or against the Rockets where it all happened in one half or one quarter, which prevented him from really doing much or or uh, lighting that spark that gets him going instantly. So defensively, the Blazers need to adjust, fix some things. Offensively, I, I think they'll be fine going forward. Uh, but they got to do a better job of giving Damian Lillard space because Iguodala defensively and Klay Thompson were all over Damian Lillard, and they basically said, hey, CJ, beat us. And, and, and they even made it tough for CJ. But sometimes that's just the way the game goes. I believe that the Warriors probably will win game two. In Oracle as well. I'm still saying it's going to be a game six. Game six series. Uh, yeah, I mean, it should definitely be better than this first game was. Because this first game was entertaining for, I would say, the first half. And seeing Curry light up was amazing. But after that, it was pretty, it's pretty bad. Now, this Toronto and Milwaukee series. Should be amazing. I believe it's going to be done in six games as well. I was leaning over to seven, but I'm, I'm going to say six. I'm going to say six. Um, I, I know Kawhi's all that. He's great, but I don't believe in his supporting cast as much as I would like to, mainly because they just seem afraid of the big moments. Uh, Siakam's still young. They look completely... Unexperienced, even though they do have experience, they just look inexperienced and they play inexperienced. Uh, Kyle Lowry, his age is showing. Uh, and I think that Giannis just has that fire in him to not be satisfied enough until he holds that Larry O'Brien trophy and he is officially declared as the greatest player in the world, even though he is not as of now. But if he wins, he probably will be. In my eyes, he probably will be. But yeah, um, those are my thoughts, and that's my conclusion. So Warriors in six and Bucks in six, they should match up in the finals. Maybe Durant will be back by then. Um, this lottery, this draft lottery, last night was pretty pretty interesting. Um, Pelicans have all the cards in the deck right now. They literally hold all the hearts in the deck right now. They have probably the most power uh, with seeing how the league goes from here on out, whether they keep Zion uh, and trade away Anthony Davis. And and not saying they do uh, pick Zion with, with the uh, number one overall pick. Or if they trade away that number one pick in Zion to some other team to try to convince Anthony Davis to say, or something like that, or if they uh, trade him over to the Lakers to get that, what, number four pick, uh, and, and some other really key uh, young players, and then they use that uh, number four pick to get another rookie, which would be really cool. It would be uh, Zion, maybe, probably Kuzma. Uh, you get Josh Hart, you get some Brandon Ingram, you get some Lonzo Ball, and then some other... Uh, rookie. So it should be really cool. Uh, looking forward to it. 
the Knicks kind of got screwed over uh, <laughs> uh, getting the third pick, not where they wanted to go. Because if you look at it, that number one pick was literally the key to them becoming a fully functioning, operating team for the future. Where they got some showtime there. They get a piece for free agents to uh, want to go to. But now it's kind of like just the same old Knicks. And that kind of hurts a lot for them. And then also, like, mainly th- this draft shows, first of all, the chaos that goes with, like, the new drafting uh, lottery odds with 14% all the way around for the top three or four, uh, three, yeah, for the top three, and then it goes down from there for the, for the worst three teams. Um, but it shows that tanking's not the way to go. Chicago went all the way down to number seven. Suns went to six. And uh, what was the last one? Cleveland. That was that was the last one. Cleveland went all the way down to five. And then then went Lakers, uh, Knicks, Memphis of all teams, and the New Orleans Pelicans. But despite that, uh, I forgot who it was. Um, I believe it was Stack or Stacks. Uh, who said that Anthony Davis, despite the Pelicans getting the number one pick, still does not want to be anywhere near that Pelicans franchise. So that should be very interesting looking forward. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case or not, or if or if David Griffin could do some uh, good old convincing and persuasion um, in order to bring Anthony Davis back into the loop or into the fold. But it looks like it's going to be trade him somewhere. And then Terry Rozier uh, earlier yesterday was, or a few days ago actually, was saying, oh, I'm probably going to be out of here if they bring the whole team back because yada, yada, yada. I don't like the team chemistry. I don't like not getting enough minutes. And, I mean, he had one really good series against the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago. But I mean, he, I mean, he's not at that level yet. I mean, he has signs of being a great player, but he's not at that level yet. And also, he's really hurting his case for being worthy of a huge deal. I believe that a team Lloyd would be willing to give him a huge amount of money or a large sum of money uh, because of his potential. But when you start saying that stuff, I mean, like the first time around, it was like, all right, cool. I got you. But then now going on TV shows, doing all that stuff, it's striking me a bit differently where it's like, come on, dude, stop being almost petty almost. I I, I don't want to say petty, but, you know, close to it. Um, oh, one more topic. There we go. Last one that I was thinking of was at the end of the Raptors 76ers game. First of all, kudos to Marcus All for consoling. Joel and B telling him, hey, much respect to you. You did a great job. You will come back stronger than ever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he exactly said, but that's what I'm thinking he said because that seems reasonable. He, I'm pretty sure he didn't say, hey, you suck, but I'm pretty sure he was like more um, respectful, telling him that, hey, you, you, you played a hard, hard fought series. Especially with being down with illness, injuries, all this stuff, I can see the uh, power in you. 
the the uh, desire in you to to uh, win. And then after that, you saw uh, Embiid crying in the tunnel uh, in the post game uh, press conference during that moment when when uh, Kawhi hit that shot and started screaming and yelling and sticking out his uh, blue tongue from I'm guessing blue Gatorade. That moment right there will define Joel Embiid's career. Not in, not at all in a negative way, but in a positive way as a reminder for him, as a sign for him that... Because, because before that, he was all doing the airplane celebration, talking trash, doing the, uh, well, different celebrations. Uh, basically, didn't take things the most serious way, his nutrition especially his uh, fitness, all that stuff, because he is a phenomenal player, and I'm guessing he just didn't take it seriously. But that heartbreak, that heartbreak to lose at the buzzer, to see the shot go in, and to have that devastating moment where you almost had it, I do not think it will break him, especially with Jimmy Butler there. And I really hope that the 76ers bring back Jimmy Butler because he symbolizes Philadelphia, the toughness, the, uh, I don't want to say goofiness, but the uh, the hard-fighting soul of Philadelphia. He represents that. The no-quit attitude, the attitude that says, hey, I'll do it. We'll get through it. That sort of attitude. That's why I want him back in Philadelphia. But how that relates to Embiid is that I believe that Jimmy Butler will help Embiid overcome this. And I believe that Embiid now finally sees the light that, hey, I got to start taking things seriously. Because I know that he now knows what it's like to be devastated. And I believe that he will be able to bounce back from it and not want that feeling of devastation and pain again. So anyways... That's it for the G-Truth. Thank you for tuning in. We got a lot more games of playoffs left. We got NFL season, uh, preseason coming up soon, or the offseason. Should be great. It's going to be awesome. So stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in. Peace out.